welcome to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast, the voice of conservation brought to you by Michigan United Conservation Clubs. The Michigan Out of Doors podcast is brought to you by our partners at Michigan Oil and Gas Association and the Michigan Department of Natural Resources Wildlife Habitat Grants, which funds our on-the-ground program to improve public land wildlife habitat. Sign up for a project near you at www.mucc.org slash on the ground. Welcome back to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. I'm your host, Drew Youngdike, with Logan Schultz, and Dan Eichinger is our guest today, the Executive Director of Michigan United Conservation Clubs. We have a lot to cover today. We've been off for the summer, much like the legislature. They were back for a few weeks, so we'll talk a little bit about what they were up to. Uh, we're going to recap Logan Schultz's bear hunt that he just returned for from, sorry about that, uh, this morning. Um, and then we'll preview the, some upcoming deer hunting. Uh, we're going to go through what's in the brand new issue of Michigan Out of Doors magazine. And we'll probably also do some witty banter about how we make fun of each other around here at the office. So, first of all, um, Logan, how was your bear hunt? Uh, well, it was a good time. I will say that much. But as far as successful bear hunts go, this was... Uh not one of them. So where'd you go? Uh, went up in the UP where I bear hunt. Uh, you know, run hounds. Uh, it's in the eastern Upper Peninsula area. Um, and we definitely did not do as well as we did last year. Last year we had a very successful season harvesting several very nice bears. And this year we did not harvest any bears. Ran a very nice bear, but... Uh, got away from us and I'm back to work now bearless 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 yep maybe you should have trained to hunt harder I understand the <laughs> reference and I'm sure not taking the bait I'm sure everybody else out there does because they've read the newest issue of Michigan Out of Doors magazine and it's right there on the front but no uh, <laughs> I don't think I'd call myself a hunter athlete <laughs> I don't think anybody else would either, Logan. Uh, (laughs) Back to your bear hunt, though. Um, So clearly we're not going to have any bear steaks for the staff Thanksgiving lunch this year like we did last year from your harvest. But um, tell us how it went. How many guys went with you? Um, You guys run dogs. How'd that go? Um, What was the experience like? What did you see? Uh, Well, you know, we had another tremendous training season. Uh, We trained in a different area and put eight or nine bears up trees this summer. It was great, and everybody's hounds were rip-roaring to go. But by the time we got up north there, and no one had tags until the second season opened, so there was a week there where other people could hunt and not us um the bears seem to have disappeared we had a really hard time finding a track crossing a road baits weren't getting hit that had been hit three days prior every day for two months you know or a month or so and it just uh just dried up but it just happened to dry up at the time when we were up there you know ready to hunt and had a bunch of hounds ready to go and the only really real action we got was the last day of uh, last day I was up there. Uh, we got on a real good bear, ran it around, but uh, it was just uh, 
one of those bears that likes to run but doesn't like to tree and dogs couldn't get them caught up or slow them down at all and they were in a pretty big section there where we couldn't get in front of them to see the bear or get a shot at them or anything like that so it was a probably a 12 14 16 hour day of chasing bears around not seeing the bear except once and then trying to pull dogs out of a massive section with no roads to get close to them so not real successful uh, we tend to do a few other things when we're up there you know we'll sit out and duck hunt that went okay we shot a few of the local ducks the first night but there wasn't much else flying and then we did some coyote hunting that didn't go so hot either uh, but that's more due to inexperience than anything because there's plenty of coyotes up there and they're not hunted too hard at all so it was a good good week up in the UP, that's for sure, but when you spend a week in the woods and see more wolves than bears, it's always disappointing. How many wolves did you see? Well, we saw one crossing the road in front of us, saw multiple wolf tracks up and down roads, and had, uh, had one on a trail cam one night about an hour after it got set. So... Yeah, not great. Don't like seeing them. Really wish they could be managed. That'd be great. And so, Dan, I guess that will just uh, lead us into a little bit of what's going on on the policy front. Um, in a couple weeks, actually, is going to be the oral arguments on the federal uh, lawsuit that, that we're a part of. Um, we've been at this for a few years. Um, what can folks expect, do you think, from, from that, just with these oral arguments coming up at the end of this month? Not a lot. The, you know, the phase that we're in right now, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service went through um, a rulemaking to delist wolves. That was challenged in federal court by the Humane Society of the United States. They got a judge to agree with um, their argument and so the wolf delisting was overturned. So the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Department of Interior have appealed that decision now, and that's what we have oral arguments on coming up next month. And just so folks know, MUCC, Michigan United Conservation Clubs, is a party, one of the parties that intervened in that lawsuit on the side, obviously, of delisting the wolves. Right, right. So what will happen now um, next month is um, the appellate court will hear... Uh, arguments from the, solicitor, the Department of Interior solicitors, they'll hear arguments, oral arguments from um, the plaintiff in this case, the Humane Society of the United States, and then we will kind of wait and see what they decide to do with the case. It's not one of those things where they're going to hear oral arguments, uh, go back into their chambers, and then render a decision. It's something that um, they'll hear arguments from both sides. Uh, and then uh, they will undertake their decision making on a time scale that can last anywhere from days and weeks to um, many weeks up to you know several or many months. So um, it's just sort of the next step in the process for us. So there's certainly the the, judi the judicial or legal pathway that we're working on for delisting, and there's also a legislative pathway that we're working on. So. Um, pending in Congress right now, there are uh, a couple of pieces of legislation 
um, the different versions of the sportsman's bills that have been introduced um, and worked on some in both the House and in the Senate, and then other pieces of must-pass legislation that may get done here um, before the end of the, the legislative term. All of those are kind of in play for trying to do uh, a legislative delist, which would basically um, be an act of Congress to delist uh, delist wolves, which is, you know, it's an unusual pathway. It's not a pathway that has been um, been used, but it's a it's one that's available to us. And quite honestly, um, that's probably the most durable way forward for us to make sure that we get wolves off. The endangered species list and that we are able to keep them off the list and and i'm really glad that that you were able to go over that with the folks listening here because when you hear a story like logan's about going up bear hunting in the eastern up seeing more wolves than bears i just think it's important for folks to know that we're continually working on this um, this is something that's always at the forefront of all of our conversations at the federal level. That's really where it is, as folks remember, with the Scientific Fish and Wildlife Conservation Act. We took care of the state law that we need to manage them scientifically here in Michigan. Now it's at the federal level, and Michigan United Conservation Clubs is constantly working on that every chance we get. It's a slower process when you get to the federal level, uh, but it's something that we're always working on. I get down to Washington every few months, and every time I go down there and I'm meeting with members of Congress, I'm meeting with the Michigan Congressional Delegation, um, I'm talking to them about wolves. Every time we go down there, um, you know, oftentimes there are a lot of things that we are communicating on. Um, the one constant in all of my communications with our Congressional Delegation is the need for us to do a legislative delist for wolves. Now, moving back to uh, state-level legislation, the legislature was just back um, in for just a couple weeks in the fall. They've now broken again and probably won't be back till till after the election. Um, but there was some activity when they came back um, for a couple weeks in, in September. Um, number one was probably our, our one of our top priorities right now is tax protection for Michigan sportsmen's clubs. Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell us what the status of that legislation is and where that's at? Sure. We're talking about Senate Bill 570. This is a bill that was introduced by Senator Pete McGregor, who's a um, Michigan State Senator out of Rockford. And the bill would essentially provide a pathway for um, sportsmen's clubs like MUCC's 250 affiliated clubs. Many of them would uh, potentially be able to qualify for um, a property tax exemption under the uh, under the bill. The reason why the legislation is necessary is that um, for many of you know many of the sportsmen's clubs around the state, whether affiliates of MUCC or not. Um, many of them have been in existence for decades, multiples of decades. So a lot of them have around 40, 50, 60, 70 years. Um, Saginaw Field and Stream Club, our uh, largest affiliate club, just had their celebrated their centennial anniversary last week. Um, so these clubs have been around for a long, long, long time. And for um, those clubs that own property, um, for approximately the same amount of time that they've been in existence, a lot of them have enjoyed um, not having been assessed property taxes. And that's been more or less an agreement or an understanding that's been reached between that individual club and um, the township in, in, in most cases. And what we have been finding as um, revenues to local governments have been declining over uh, the last several years, and as uh, the assessors change over, 
Uh, there is a lot of pressure that's put on both assessors and there's a lot of pressure that's put on municipal governments across the state to find additional sources of revenue. And one of the ways that they're uh, looking for additional sources of revenue is to assess uh, properties that haven't been assessed historically. And we have clubs, uh, the Rockford Sportsman's Club is one that comes to mind, the Western Wayne County Conservation Association over in Plymouth Township is another one. These are uh, clubs that have been, that have owned their property for, you know, 60 and 70 years, uh, have never paid uh, property taxes or been assessed property taxes, and get a, you know, in some cases, 20 or $25,000 tax bill in the mail um, that they hadn't been planning for. And, you know, we're certainly not ones to say that, um, you know, folks shouldn't pay their fair share in taxes, but the idea behind the exemption is that you are rendering a service to your community um, that your community does not otherwise have to provide. And in exchange for your organization providing that service, you can have, um, you can be exempted from paying property taxes. It's not unlike uh, property ta or um, income tax exemptions for charitable organizations. And what so many of our clubs do is provide range facilities for local law enforcement. This saves local communities from having to develop and maintain their own range facilities for their own law enforcement agencies. Many of our clubs serve as um, pseudo-public buildings and public facilities where Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and community meetings and uh, and so forth can take place. They serve as polling locations. They serve as emergency shelters during natural disasters. They are locations for Red Cross blood drives. Um, these places and you know many of these clubs serve as integral parts of community infrastructure. And for those of them that do. Uh, they should be exempted from paying property taxes so that they can continue to provide those services uh, to their community. And that's really the upshot of the bill. So um, Senate Bill 570 was um, heard in the Senate Finance Committee earlier in the summer and was voted out of the committee and had been on the floor of the Senate. And last week when the Senate was in, they moved that bill, uh, passed the bill 24 to 10, and sent that bill over to the House of Representatives. That that's terrific. Um, there's a lot to that to that bill. Mainly, what it is is it sets out objective criteria of what those public service standards are, um, so that clubs know when they meet them, townships know when they meet them. There's certainty uh, both for the club and for uh, the local governmental authorities, so they know this is when they meet it, this is when they don't. Provides those objective standards. So we definitely want to see those moving. Um, what else has been happening in the legislature? We we actually got a a. It was an MUCC resolution years ago, and it's been something that especially our Deputy Director Amy Trotter has been working on um, for years, um, working on the details, and we got it in a bill, and we actually had a hearing on it, and that's the guiding package. Mm -hmm. um, tell us about the guiding package. What's the theory behind that? This has been an MUCC priority for years, and it's exciting to see some movement on it. Sure. Well, it's, been, uh, it's something that uh, certainly, as you mentioned, our staff have been working on that issue for a long time and it's a very important issue for a number of our affiliates and essentially um, it's a uh, it's basically a registration package for um, those folks who are out and guide commercially provide commercial guiding services and what it does is it provides um, uh, it provides uh, standards for 
guides to hold insurance. It makes a provision for a guiding license. Um, it provides uh, for the registration of guiding activities. Basically, I, I suppose the best way to describe it is that this is essentially a consumer protection bill for people who use and patronize guides for different hunting experiences here in Michigan. And it's really designed to um, provide a way for the public to be able to uh, discern who the good actors are in the guiding industry and uh, steer their business towards uh, towards those folks. One of the other uh, provisions that I think is really important in it is um, the provision on making sure that guides do not have game violations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and what I think this bill does, and, and there's some details in it, obviously, that, that may need to be worked out in the future, um, but it, it really seems to legitimize the good guides mm-hmm. um, and weed out the bad ones. And I think that's that's really the point of it is it provides a registration process. So when, let's say in Michigan, you, you want to go on a bear hunt like Logan does, but you don't have dogs or bait or that experience and you hire a guide to kind of get you started, you know that the person that you're going with is legit and above board and that they're not going to steer you in the wrong direction, tell you you can use a method that you can't, tell you you can take a bear that you can't, um, and that you're getting somebody who has that kind of good reputation and experience, and this kind of provides a method uh, for for hunters to be able to find out who who those folks are and who to stay away from. It's really uh, it's very similar to legislation that we've seen enacted in virtually every western state. Um, guiding and outfitting, particularly out west, are far more prevalent than they are. Um, certainly here in Michigan, but having said that, there are uh, still, you know, several hundred guides who uh, operate in the state of Michigan. A lot of them are bear guides, as you mentioned, Drew. A lot of them are uh, elk guides. So you think about that once-in-a-lifetime hunting opportunity, um, where if you've been one of the the lucky few to draw that elk tag in Michigan, um, you want to make the most that you can out of that experience. And a lot of, for a lot of folks, that means hooking up with a guide who knows the area, knows where the elk are, and knows how to help provide you with a good hunt. But you need to be able to know that that individual is going to um, honor you know, honor the business relationship that you established with them, that they are uh, someone who's gonna put you in a position to have a good legal safe hunt. And that's really what this, this package is designed to do. Absolutely. Now on the same day, um there was a hearing on uh, Senate Bills 39 and 40. We're not going to go into uh, the specifics of those because we've talked <laughs> kind of uh, to death about those two bills on previous podcasts, and you can go back into uh, the archives on iTunes or Stitcher and listen to some of our previous episodes for the details of that. Um, that did move out of the Senate committee, um, although it was a uh, substitute version. It took out a couple of, of the really bad provisions. Of course, it left some others in there. Um, and you can check that out on, on our website as well. So that moved out of the Senate committee, um, has not been voted on in the Senate. We just want to give folks an update on where that's at. We're continuing to to monitor that and make sure that MUCC is protecting Michigan's uh, public lands. So back to running dogs with bears. Logan, you know when the first hound hunt for bears was in Michigan? Uh I remember reading an article about this, but I don't remember the exact date. 1953, 47? Number two, 1947. So the first hound hunt for bears was actually organized by um, Ben East, who was the legendary outdoor life writer who also 
um, used to write for Michigan Out of Doors. And the reason that we know that is that that article appeared in the very first issue of Michigan Out of Doors in January 1947. Um, and so the story of that first bear hunt, we actually have run in our most recent Michigan Out of Doors in a section called The Throwback. Um, the new Michigan Out of Doors uh, was released, uh, I think it was August 19th is when that came out. Um, we've gone to a quarterly edition of Michigan Out of Doors, beefed it up to 100 pages. And the new issue is out now, and you can get it at Jay's Sporting Goods, you can get it at Bob's Gun and Tackle, you can get it at uh, Gold Star um, Outdoors, and you can also get it online at www.michiganoutofdoors.com. Um, Dan, as the publisher of Michigan Out of Doors, um, tell us about a little bit about the new issue. I can tell everybody as, as editor, but um, they hear enough from me, so... Well, we updated the, you know, we, we've updated the format of the magazine, we've updated the content, we've updated the imagery, um, and that was all designed with the reader in mind, that we wanted to be putting forward a product that was first and foremost reflective of our members and who our membership is. And MUCC has a large and diverse set of members who have a large and diverse set of interests. And we wanted to be able to reflect uh, as many of those interests in each issue of Michigan Out of Doors magazine as we could. And we also have a very rich history um, with the Michigan Out of Doors brand and the Michigan Out of Doors flagship. And you know, so we wanted to be able to leverage historical content, archived content, content that we have. So that's you know where things you know features like the throwback come from. Um, but in each issue, as we have gone to a seasonal publication schedule, each issue is, um, our goal is to make it as representative of all of the offerings that Michigan's uh, Out of Doors have during that season. And so in the fall edition, we have everything from, um, you know, deer hunting, waterfowling, bear hunting, um, fishing for uh, cold water trout species in the fall, fishing for yep. cool water walleye and bass. Yeah, we got uh, fall bass from Bob Gwids. Um, we've got uh, salmonids and um, river, run, river run Great Lakes fish uh, like trout from uh, Jim Bedford. Um, <laughs> we have uh, Richard P. Smith, um, who, who's on our board and also actually just won the um, Communicator of the Year Award from the Michigan Outdoor Writers Association, um, wrote a article on bear hunting and basically how to get lost tracking bears at night in the woods, um, a little bit of a what not to do mm -hmm. um, type of thing. As I mentioned, we have running bears with dogs from that throwback episode. We have a great youth article from a, from a youth named uh, Fisher Fam about his hunting dog. Mm -hmm. um, we have pheasants, we have waterfowl, we have a lot of deer um, articles, um, especially for the fall. We have two uh, full draw columns from um, uh, Tom Nelson, who is Cabela's American Archer um, on the Outdoor Channel. Um, Tony Hansen still writes a couple articles. Um, we have Darren Potter, um, just a real diverse set. Um, I'm gonna break in and, and talk a little bit about the, the feature, um, cover feature article. Um, in this episode or in this edition of Michigan Out of Doors, it was on the Train to Hunt competition um, with Michigan's own Ray Bickle, who won the first Train to Hunt competition east of the Mississippi. And this is a whole idea about preparing for your hunt. Um, we actually recorded a podcast episode with Ray 
at the Saginaw Field and Stream uh, Reinhardt 100 archery shoot a couple weeks ago, but unfortunately I messed up the audio on that and we were not able to salvage that. So Ray, sorry about that. Um, but it's really neat to see something that's taking off on the national level. And this is the idea of the hunter athlete. And really it's just the idea of taking your preparation for hunting to the next level. Seeing something like that won by somebody from Michigan uh, like Ray. So as, as we're getting ready for hunting, you know, a lot of people have been out uh, shooting 3D tournaments. You know, for the guys like Logan that run bears, you prepare by going out and training your dogs you know running them in the summer i'm not training myself in any way <laughs> so, <laughs> right yeah. right but for those of us who, who don't have dogs and you know it's 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 our own legs that are carrying us in and out of the areas that we hunt um we're training the legs that are carrying us out there you know legs feed the wolf so um that's that's what the cover article is for but what i want people to remember is that if you're reading about that training to hunt doesn't just mean engaging in these competitions or that kind of thing it also means you know just going for a walk around the block if, if that's the level that you're at and just making sure that when it comes time to drag your deer out of the woods um, that you're not going to have a heart attack doing it and and that's really what we're trying to get across with that feature the other thing i really want to highlight from this first step first uh, issue of the new release is our firearms column um, we have a brand new firearms columnist that's going to be writing at least uh, one article um, every issue. His name is Scott Crawford. Um, he's a recent um, veteran from the Marines. He was a machine gunner and marksmanship instructor for the Marines. So I couldn't think of anybody better um, to let people know um, his insight into firearms issue. His first column um, was on uh, suppressors. Now that they're legal in Michigan, um, some of his experience with them in the Marines and considerations that folks should should think about if they're thinking about using them now for hunting in Michigan. Uh, but he was part of the Michigan Operation uh, Freedom Outdoors program in Zero Day, and we're really excited to bring him on board as a firearms columnist with Michigan Out of Doors. So if you have not subscribed already, um, you get the print edition to Michigan Out of Doors by becoming a member of MUCC at MUCC.org. You can read the issue online as well as um, a lot of our articles and additional blogs at www.michiganoutofdoors.com. Um, Dan, we got October coming up. What are you looking forward to in October? Grouse hunting. Grouse hunting. How about you, Logan? You getting out again? Oh, I definitely hope to. I'll definitely be getting out for ducks, if nothing else. All right. I'm going to be heading up uh, this weekend, and probably by the time folks listen to it, I'll be up in the... Ready for it, Logan? That's uh, 26... How many minutes into 20, the show are we? 27, exactly. 27 minutes in. I will be up in the Pigeon River country. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. We haven't worked CrossFit reference in yet, so that's got to be some kind of record. <laughs> didn't. Backpack bow hunting. Using my, you ready for it? CrossFit training. <laughs> but I'm excited. I'm testing out um, a, a new pack. It's the Tenzing TZ3000 pack. Um, I'm, I'm a gear junkie when it comes to hunting backpacking gear. So, um, What's the camel pattern on that? It's uh, Cryptic Highlander. <laughs> King of all camels. The king patterns. of all camels. Actually, if you go onto so mucc.org, you can actually get the Michigan Out of Doors ball cap in cryptic Highlander with the American flag patch on the side. So we've now gotten references to like three of Drew's like conversational crutches here: Pigeon River Country, 
CrossFit, and the Cryptic Camo Pattern. All within <laughs> 30 minutes? Within 30 minutes, you're getting better. The therapy's working. I don't think I don't think you need any therapy from those things. Um, cryptic works. Um, so last year when I when I was bow hunting, I have a tarp that's in Cryptic Highlander, and the tarp is what I sleep under. I use that instead of a tent, um, and I had it set up kind of in between some trees. And when I was sitting under my tarp eating lunch, a four-corn buck walked within about 15 yards of my tarp while I was sitting under it. Had no idea I was there. I let it pass. I passed up on the forecorn, of course, to shoot the button buck that I thought was a doe last year. Just remind folks of that. <laughs> but the point is, that forecorn from 15 yards away had no idea that I was there sitting under my cryptic Highlander SJK tarp. That is an effective cat camel pattern. Have we mentioned uh, cryptic yet, though? Uh, a little show? bit. They're yeah. not. They're not even a sponsor. We need to change that. Oh, no, they they aren't. <laughs> So now that we've sufficiently chased the cryptic squirrel, um, I want to remind folks to go to www.mucc.org slash on the ground to find an opportunity to volunteer with Saratop on a on the ground wildlife habitat volunteer project. You know, this past week alone, she's had over 80 volunteers at two different projects just in the last week. That's awesome. That was awesome. She's had um, a, youth, a youth group um, from local, I think it was a middle school or junior high, um, up at the Muskegon State Game Area. And just actually the same day we were at the conservation policy meeting, um, she had, um, I think it was close to 30 volunteers out, including a bunch from Grand Valley State University. So it's not just um, volunteers um, you know, from our clubs and from our regular membership. She's recruiting new people into the outdoors through these volunteer projects um, such as college students and junior high students and high school students and it's really exciting to see what she's doing with the program. Um, since I mentioned it and, and getting back to something very productive and more productive than cryptic if there is such a thing. There is. <laughs> the first conservation policy meeting under our new board structure for Michigan United Conservation Clubs. We had that also at the Saginaw Field and Stream Club on Saturday. And I thought we had a couple really great um, presentations from DNR biologists um, on fish stocking and uh, especially from Ashley Autenrieth, and I have a tough time pronouncing her last Autenreath. name. Right, Autenrieth? Autenrieth. Autenrieth, okay. I know how to spell it. But anyways, <laughs> it was a great presentation of how the DNR um, surveys deer and hunter harvest. And then she had some really great answers to questions from our members about APRs and uh, CWD as well. What, what do you think about that first conservation policy meeting and how that went? It was exactly what we hoped it would be. I mean, we moved to that new structure so that we could ha invite more people, more of the members of MUCC, um, more more prospective members of MUCC to take a look at what one of the real value adds of the organization is and that's you know being influential and effective in policy discussions and being able to provide people with the best sort of insider information that they can get on what's happening with natural resources management and two I mean you hit the nail on the head two subjects that are really driving the conversation if you are involved at all in fisheries and paying attention to fisheries conversations and that kind of thing, you know that fish stocking is a hot button issue right now with what is happening in Lake Michigan and the changing dynamics there with Chinook and Alewives and 
um, the population dynamics that are at play between those two um, those two organisms and then um, certainly over on the deer side of the equation we're all thinking about deer hunting right now um, the you know we're all dealing with chronic wasting disease and I thought Ashley did a really superb job of walking um, the folks that were at our meeting through um, some of the information that they collect at deer check and how that um, how that informs um, their management how they are able then to develop um, what their um, management goals are for each deer management unit and that kind of thing and I think we have posted up at least the entirety of Ashley's presentation on our website but the really cool thing here is that the information that our folks um, the people who are participating in that meeting get they hear it from the department they're able to ask questions it was a really great conversation we had like the people were super engaged to her there asked a ton of great questions the DNR did a great job in answering those questions and what our folks are able to do then is to turn what they learned and heard firsthand into policy resolutions that then get sent on to our convention in June, which I know we've talked about before on the show and we can talk about as we get a little bit closer to it. But that's sort of the, I mean, that is like the meat and potatoes of what the organization is, is citizen-based conservation. And if we can, through these policy meetings, provide people with really good information, really compelling presentations and the opportunity to really take a deep dive on some of these issues that we are all hearing a lot about. Uh, it's exactly what we hoped it would be. It was our first one. Um, the next one is going to be up at the Cadillac uh, Sportsman's Club on December 10th. Uh, so we'd love to have anybody who is a member of MUCC, is thinking about becoming a member of MUCC, not entirely sure what it is that we do, come to that meeting um, and find out because it's a really, we're going to have another great agenda that we put together. Uh, lots of information, fellowship, meeting with other conservationists around the state. It's a good time. It was great, and you can find um, the entirety of Ashley's presentation. It's both on our Facebook page, at the MUCC Facebook page, and it's on our YouTube channel. Um, if you go to YouTube and search for MUCC video, you'll be able to watch that entire uh, presentation, break it up in chunks. Uh, really great questions and answers on those uh, topics, and um, pretty soon we'll have up to the videos uh, for the uh, presentations from Ed Eich and Jim Baker, who was our... Uh, who won a special conservation award actually from MUCC this summer, the DNR fisheries biologist. You'll be able to see those presentations um, very soon on our YouTube channel as well. Uh, thanks for listening to the Michigan Out of Doors podcast. Keep it public and keep it wild.